Welcome to the Littlestown Chapel podcast. Make sure to check us out on the web at littlestownchapel.org. Now, we hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Scott Morgan. So we've been looking at the life of this young man who was given an incredible dream by God, a dream that he would be a great leader in his family. And yet this young man, Joseph, experienced so many setbacks. He had so many obstacles, brick walls that he kept encountering, so to speak, big potholes, speed bumps, detours that kept him from experiencing the fulfillment of his dreams. And if I were Joseph, I'd be thinking by this time, well, you know what? I don't know that I really am going to experience this dream that God has given me, that I think God has given me. I'm not sure that I'm really going to experience it coming true in my life. I mean, think about it. God had given him a dream that he would be a great leader in his family when he was around 17 years of age, but he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. He had 10 older brothers and several sisters, and and they argued with each other and fought with each other all the time. His father doted upon him as the favorite privileged son. There was his biological mother, another mother, and three, two other mothers as well. There were three stepmothers and his biological mom in this family, and they just fought among themselves. On top of all that, his mother had died when his youngest brother was born. And so Joseph grew up in this very dysfunctional family. In fact, it was so dysfunctional that his brothers actually sold him into slavery, kidnapped him and sold him into slavery. And now Joseph is hundreds of miles away, living in Egypt. He's been a slave for one of the officials of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And on top of all that, he maintained his integrity, refused to have sexual relations with his boss's wife, was she was seducing him, and for all of that integrity and all of that faithfulness and responsibility and faith in God, Joseph winds up in prison. And in prison, it looks like God has forgotten him. I don't know about you, but maybe you feel like God's forgotten you. Maybe you feel like that your life is a prison. Maybe you feel like you're being treated like a slave. And I'm not just talking to the moms here or the parents, you know, in your home. But just seriously, maybe you have that thought that life just is so hard it feels like a prison. Maybe your doctor has said that you've got some kind of condition physically that uh, they're not sure that there's really a cure for it. Maybe it's a reoccurring infection or after cancer's been in remission, it's come back after testing. And you just are wondering, will I ever be able to get out of this? Will there ever be any healing or freedom? Maybe the the healing that you're looking for is not physical. Maybe it's emotional or spiritual. And you're thinking about, you know what? I just struggle with these addictions. I struggle with these hurts and traumas from my past. Those people harmed me. And when will I ever really be able to let go of that and and not have that, that pain and that memory just weigh me down and beat me down like it does? When will I be free from that? Maybe you're thinking, you know, if I could just get rid of this alcohol or these drugs or the porn or the gambling or whatever, the food, and just, just finally be free to live life in peace and enjoy my relationships with others. Maybe your slavery or your prison is that marriage that you're in and you're struggling with your spouse and you're wanting to live in peace and you're wanting to get along, but 
she's insensitive or he ignores you or they're too busy, whatever it might be, but you've tried counseling, you've tried seminars, you've read books, you've talked to your friends, you've done all these things, you've cajoled them, maybe badgered them to try to change and there's no change. Maybe you're thinking about, maybe you're plotting this in your mind. If I would just leave, if I just could leave, then I would finally be happy and I would be able to let go of this marriage and move on to something better. Maybe that feels like your, your prison that you're trapped in and you're wanting to get out. Maybe your prison is this, this crushing financial burden that you're under and you're thinking about more debt to try to just keep everybody happy to get the bill collectors from stop calling you and you could just finally have some peace and maybe you just feel that pressure and you're wondering what to do. Maybe those are the types of prisons you're in. Maybe there's something else we haven't even talked about. And in the midst of those hard, difficult, suffering circumstances, it's easy to think that God has forgotten all about you because why would I be in this mess if God really loved me? Why would I be grieving like this? Why would I be hurting like this? Why would I be suffering like this if God really cared about me? I thought he had a good plan. Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. Well, where is it? He came to lift our burdens. Well, when's he gonna lift it? It just feels like he's forgotten me. It feels like I'm forsaken. It feels like we're here all alone. When is God gonna finally come through and set us free? And I think a lot of us wrestle with that kind of stuff. We think about it. It weighs on us. And it's easy for us to doubt that God really loves us and really cares. It feels like he's forgotten all about us. I can't help but think that that's what Joseph felt like. I mean, he's been a slave or a prisoner going on 10 years now. And he's there, far away from home, and it looks like nobody cares. In fact, he's been sold into slavery by his brothers, and he becomes a slave. He does what's right, and he winds up getting thrown into prison. And on top of all that, he helps some of his fellow prisoners, and they forget all about him. That's like a knife in the heart and then twisting it. That's like pouring salt in the wound. When is God going to come through and make his dreams a reality? Well, the thing is, as we look at Joseph's life and as we think about our experience and look at the lives of many other people, sometimes we wait and it doesn't work out. We, we'd like it to be like a Disney movie that, you know, they all lived happily ever after and we would like it always to work out like that, but sometimes it doesn't work like that. And we're in the midst of this suffering and we're this waiting and this delay and God holding his finger on the pause button and we're wondering when is he going to let go and push start? When is it going to work out? And the reason we go through this waiting is God wants us to learn to grow up in him. He has a lot of things he wants to teach us as we wait. Things about maturity, things about trusting him. The waiting often is a test. The waiting is a way for us to grow and stronger in our faith and dependence upon Him. The waiting is something that can become worthwhile in our lives. But the question is, how do I make my waiting worthwhile? How do I really make a difference with my waiting? How does it become something good and beneficial for me? 
And I think if we look at Joseph's life around the events of chapter 40 in Genesis, we're going to see that there were several things that Joseph did that really did make his waiting worthwhile, made it productive, made it something meaningful that blessed him, blessed other people, and truly glorified God. And some of you are thinking, but (laughs) that's Joseph, you know, he's a hero, God was with him, everything worked out, I'm not like that, I'm just a nobody, I live here in Littlestown, you know, what do I have? How is God gonna help me? But I want you to see that there are things that are transferable from Joseph's life that can apply to your and my life today things that we can do, things that we can say, things that we can think in the midst of our waiting. And as we do that, we'll see God work. Maybe not make all the waiting end. Maybe not make a storybook fairy tale ending, but still work through it and bring glory to his name and do what's right and good for us as well. So let's take our Bibles, please. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 40. And I want to invite you to to look there. I'm on page 33 if you'd like to follow along. Follow along in your Bible as well. We're actually going to start back in chapter 39 just to kind of review a couple little things, a little detail or two from last week where we read. So in verse 40, or 20 rather, of chapter 39, and Joseph's master, this is Potiphar, took him and put him into prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them, and he attended them, and they continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream there was a vine before me, and on the vine there were three branches. And as soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, This this is its interpretation. 
The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here I also have done nothing that they should put me into the pit. When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head, and in the uppermost basket there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. Joseph answered and said, This is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat the flesh from you. On the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Then notice verse 1 of chapter 41. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the Nile. This is God's word. Here you see Joseph. He's a slave who's been thrown into prison. He helps some of his fellow inmates. God uses him to give them direction in life. And he winds up having to go to prison for two more years. He's put on hold. God seems like he's not working. It seems like Joseph has been forgotten and forsaken while he's there in prison. But I want you to see that while Joseph is waiting, he's still making it worthwhile, and he's making it worthwhile several ways. The first way that Joseph makes his waiting worthwhile, the first way that you and I can really make something productive happen as we're waiting for God to work and answer prayer, as we're waiting for God to solve the crisis that we're in, as we're waiting for that dream and vision that God has given us to be fulfilled, as we're waiting for all that, the way we make that waiting time productive and worthwhile is to do this first thing. Joseph worked. He worked. He served. Now, notice, if, if I were Joseph and I was in slavery, or I was in prison, I would be constantly plotting, how can I escape? This is unjust. This is unfair. Maybe if I dig a hole, you know, like Andy Dufresne in Shawshank Redemption, I'm just going to dig this hole through the wall, I'm going to go down and swim through that sewer pipe, and I'm going to get out. I'm going to plot my escape. But Joseph doesn't do that. You could maybe say, well, Joseph, maybe you wouldn't escape because you probably wouldn't be able to run away, but I would be that passive-aggressive kind of individual. I certainly wouldn't be cooperating. I would do all I can to, to go kicking and screaming or dragging my heels, and I don't want to help these people in any way I can. And yet that's exactly what Joseph does. He does help them. He does serve them. 
He's in using his leadership gifts, his administrative ability, his emotional quotient, his EQ. <laughs> he had a great way of understanding the needs of people, the body language, the terminology, the phraseology that they used. He understood that something was bothering these men. You know, he could read it. Why are you so glum? Uh, he was not just having high IQ, highly intelligent and intellectual and understanding things about life, but he had the emotional quotient as well. He was able to discern the needs of the people he was serving. Here's Joseph just serving faithfully in this prison. He's so completely faithful. He's so reliable that the warden of the prison just kind of sits back, puts his feet up and say, Joseph, just run the prison. He's giving the keys to the prison to the lead prisoner, letting him lead the place. And we're, the warden had nothing to worry about. The warden and the chief of the guard, who probably was Potiphar, when these two officers of Pharaoh come, they trust Joseph so much, we want you to especially take care of these two high-profile prisoners. We want you to watch over them and help them and assist them and do whatever you need to do to make sure that they are kept here and that their time here is worthwhile as well. And so Joseph does that. He attends to them. He serves them. Now, you might be thinking, well, you know, doesn't sound like the Joint Chiefs of Staff or the Director of Central Intelligence who are here. It's, a, it's the cupbearer and the chief baker. How important is that? How high-ranking are those officers? Both of those positions could easily assassinate the king. The baker could put something poisonous in the food, let someone in through the kitchen, and they could knock off King Pharaoh. So the king had to have somebody he really trusted to bake and cook his food. The wine taster, same thing. You know, he's got to sip the wine. He's got to serve the wine. He's got to make sure that no one has slipped some kind of potion or poison into the wine. He's guarding the king. He's like the last line of defense before the king. These are two men that were trusted with Pharaoh's life. They could easily be persuaded to turn against Pharaoh and kill him, stage a coup. And so they were two men that were highly responsible in Pharaoh's court. For whatever reason, we're not told why, Pharaoh is angry at both of these guys. He's ticked off at them. They've lost favor with him, and so he throws them both into prison. It's kind of ironic. You know, Joseph does nothing wrong. He refuses to sin and gets thrown into prison. These two guys sin against the Pharaoh, and they get thrown into prison. Just, again, a stark contrast between the integrity of Joseph and the, and the lapse of integrity on the part of these two officers. While they're in prison, they have these dreams. You saw the two dreams. The cupbearer dreams about a, a grapevine that buds and then rapidly produces flowers and then rapidly produces grapes. And then the cupbearer takes a cluster of the grapes and squeezes them and the grape juice pours into Pharaoh's goblet and he hands it to Pharaoh and Pharaoh drinks it, trusting him. And Joseph shows him, your dream is you're going to be restored to your position in three days. The baker dreams about something related to his job. He's got three big baskets on top of his head full of breads. The top basket has fancy Egyptian pastries on top. I don't know what their version of a croissant or a, a scone or something like that, but it's that kind of fancy pastry things are on top of that basket. And so there he is. And these birds are coming and they're eating the food and the baker's doing nothing to drive the, the birds away. And Joseph interprets that dream and he says, you know what? In your dream, you're going to wind up being executed. You're going to lose your life. And what's remarkable is that the dreams are fulfilled to the T for both men. 
Joseph is working and he's using the skills that he has to help the people that are around him. Let me just diverge for a moment because some of you are saying, but wait a minute, this whole idea of dreams, that seems really strange. (laughs) Does God really speak through our dreams? Can we really know God's will through our dreams? How did Joseph know God's will through the dreams as well? The Egyptian philosophy of life, one of their key principles was this idea that when people go to sleep at night, the dividing wall, the curtain between the unseen world and the seen world, that curtain lifts. And those two worlds come together. And so the world of the spirits, the world of gods and goddesses, the worlds of demons and angels, the world that's unseen by normal human life and normal human life, that world merges into the physical reality of our world and they intermingle and they talk and they interact with each other. And the thing is, when you had a dream, you were seeing these two worlds kind of interact with each other. And there would be numbers and there would be figures and there would be symbols and there would be actions and people were just kind of wondering, what does this mean? They wake up, you know, they've been in that REM sleep, rapid eye movement sleep or that light sleep that's restoring and resting your body and they're waking up and they've had this dream and they wonder what it means. We all are curious about that. I have people come to me all the time asking me, Pastor, I had this dream and they proceed to tell me and I'm going, okay. And I'm listening to it and I, don't, I have no clue what it means and I go, I don't know, what'd you have for dinner last night? <laughs> I, I don't have a clue. There are other people who have great ways of dealing with people and how they, you know, the dreams that they have. You'll have to ask Dan Davis about that when he preaches in a couple weeks. He'll probably tell you a story about that. But at the same time, all of us are leery about how do you understand a dream? The Egyptians had an, a science of, for all this. They, they actually had professional dream interpreters. It was like the dream intelligence agency, so to speak. And they would, they would have magicians and, and fortune tellers and mystics that would be experts in, well, these numbers mean this and these symbols mean that and those actions mean this, this is what's gonna happen. They even had encyclopedias and dictionaries that were filled with uh, ways to interpret dreams and meanings of symbols and objects and things like that. And, and they, would, they would just go and consult these writings and, and they would come back to Pharaoh and say, this is what your dream means. I mean, Pharaoh really cared about his dreams because he's head of state. He's concerned about his own health and well-being. He's concerned about the future of his nation. So he wants to make sure that he understands his dreams because maybe the gods and, and, and demons and angels are trying to tell him something and he makes, wants to make sure that he really understands it. Well, these two officers come to Joseph and they say, we've had these dreams on the exact same night. We can't make heads or tails of it. And they, they scare us because we don't know what they mean. When you and I have dreams, sometimes it's just data processing. You know, your minds are just, our minds are just kind of rolling through all the things that we've heard and said and done, we're thinking about, anxious about, worried about, and our brains are just kind of filtering all that and shuffling it all together, putting it in its right compartments in our minds, and there's just a general data processing going, going on. Sometimes, like Freud said, our dreams are, are just delusional. They're wish fulfillment. This is what I hope happens. And that's what our dreams mean. Other times, the Bible warns us very clearly that our dreams can be satanic or demonic. And sometimes the evil one is saying things to us. Some of you, your loved one has passed away and you've 
told me or shared with others. You know, I dream that they've come to me and they've said things to me, this departed loved one. And I just always caution people, don't do whatever that departed loved one says to you. Just don't do that. You can listen to them. If you dream about that's wonderful. But you don't have to listen to what they say because I don't know that I would trust that. Okay, be careful about that. Because the dreams are so subjective that we're easily manipulated by them. And, and, And sometimes dreams are divine. That God gives dreams. Sometimes he does give a vision or a dream of the future, an encouragement to us. And, and the reason I say that is because you read passages like Joel chapter 2 that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost when he's preaching. He says, you're, in the last days when God pours out his spirit, your young men are going to see visions and your old men, and I'm, now that I'm officially an old man, you know, I, it says that you're going to have dreams. You're going to have these dreams. So we need to be willing to say that God works through dreams. He does reveal things. Now, not on the par of equality with Scripture. We can never say that my dream can take the place of what Scripture says. But God does speak through dreams. You always have to compare what your dream says to what does the Scripture say because the Scripture is the authority for our lives. It's crystal clear in revealing what God's will is for us. I understand that he gives us a lot of latitude to make our own choices, but where God, God speaks through his word, we can trust that word to be authoritative for us as well. And so as we think about all this, we see that God does work through dreams. And let me give you just a, a, one more example as we think about dreams for a minute. God is moving and using dreams in a remarkable way in our world, in a way that you at least expect it. And that is, there are many people who are Muslims, especially in the Middle East, where they are having dreams. And there has been repeated examples and reports of this all over the Middle East. People are having dreams of Isa. That's the Arabic name for Jesus. They are dreaming of someone coming to them in white and speaking the words that and claiming to be Jesus, the Son of God, and that you should follow me, you should listen to me. You should hear what I have to say. One man who recently passed away, a young man by the name of Nabil Qureshi, had three dreams in his life, and he was convinced that it was Satan tempting him to deny Islam. He was convinced that Satan was trying to trick him with these dreams of Isa, dreams of Jesus. But the more he looked into it, the more he investigated, the more he pushed back, the more he listened to what it said, and the more he went into the Word of God and began talking to Christians, he realized that the dreams were true and that Jesus was his Lord and Savior and he put his faith in Christ. But it was the dreams that awakened him to the reality of Jesus. God's doing that in our world in a very powerful way. So don't discount dreams. Now, I say all of this to say this was part of the work that Joseph's doing because here are these men, they have these dreams. Joseph's willing to serve. He's being responsible in the prison. He's had some dreams himself about being a great leader and he's willing to help them and serve them. And so when they say, we don't know what these dreams mean, how can we interpret these dreams? We don't have an interpreter to show us. And what does Joseph do? Joseph in that moment says, don't dreams belong to God? Doesn't the interpretation belong to God? That's the second thing that Joseph does to make his his waiting worthwhile. Not only was he working and serving, helping and benefiting, blessing the people that were around him, even though they were, quote, enemies, unquote, he was blessing and serving them, but he was also willing to be a witness. 
he directed those men's attention and probably the other prisoners that were listening that there is a God, his God, that was willing to interpret the dreams. Would they just listen to him? You got to say, now Joseph, this is pretty remarkable that you would stick your neck out like this because Joseph's been waiting for over 10 years for his own dreams to be fulfilled. And he's wrestling with that. And yet remember what it says at the end of chapter 39 that the Lord, Yahweh, the God of Israel, the God who's creator, the God who is self-existent, he was with Joseph and Joseph was with him. He had that, that, that loyal, intimate, covenantal relationship with with God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. And God was faithful to him even in prison. He was still trusting God to bring about the fulfillment of his dream, though he had been taken on this detour. And so here's Joseph. He's saying, doesn't, doesn't the interpretation belong to God? Dreams are interpreted by God, not man. It's not having all those dictionaries and encyclopedias. It's not having the professional dream intelligence agency try to discern all of this. It's not that. It's turning to God and trusting in Him. It's letting Him lead you and speak to you and show you the meaning of the dreams. See, for you and I, when we're waiting for God to work in our lives and bring about the fulfillment of our dreams, when we're put on a hold like that, He wants us to be faithful in serving and benefiting others. Now, a lot of times we hold back and we think, why should I be helping others because I'm hurting so bad? Why should I be serving others because I'm confused? I'm the one that's broken. What's in it for me? We have to develop this mindset instead. No, God's with me. God will help me. He will take care of me. And I can serve and I can give and I can help others. And on top of all that, as I help and serve others, the door will open for me to be a witness in the midst of my suffering. I can speak up and let others know about what God has done in our lives. Now, I've noticed over and over, the years talk about, people will talk about to me over the years, they've said, if God just would heal me, I will be such a great witness for him. If God would just take care of me and give me this promotion, if God would just prosper me, if God would just take care of this, then I'll be a great witness for him. But what I also notice is that a lot of people don't really listen when you say, I've been healed. Praise God. Well, yeah, we're all happy. We're excited. But you would have gotten over your cold six days later. Your flu would eventually pass. That's just going to happen. And so, really what people listen to is, are you willing to praise God and show your love for God and give glory to God even when it hurts? Even when they're suffering? Even when it looks like God doesn't care? Because you're saying in that moment, I still love God. I'm still loyal to Him. I'm still trusting Him to work all this out. All of a sudden, that waiting that suffering becomes a platform for you to give a testimony of the goodness and love of God, the faithfulness of God in your life. It's not just when there's the victory. It's not just when the fairy tale ending comes true. It's when you're able to say, you know what? My God loves me and he's faithful and true in spite of the suffering and the pain and the waiting I'm going through right now. That's the God I want to trust. 
And we've seen examples of that where someone could stand up and testify in this church building and say, I'm trusting God. I've gotten a bad report from the doctor. I may not have long to live. And someone across the room look over at that individual and say, I want that kind of faith. Show me how to trust Jesus like that guy does. That's what Joseph was able to do here. My dreams haven't been fulfilled, but I'm still trusting. Let's go to God and see what the interpretations are of your dreams as well. So when God reveals the dreams to Joseph and the interpretation is fulfilled and it comes true, it says on, on the third day, this is verse 20, when it was Pharaoh's birthday, this is just three days later after the interpretation that Joseph gives, Pharaoh's birthday. Now, not his, his uh, physical birthday. This is probably uh, the, the birthday, so to speak, the anniversary of Pharaoh becoming a god with a small g because in Egypt, your king was a god and it's when he ascended to become a god. Uh, he was deified in that way and so they're celebrating that, his ascension. And um, he's celebrating that day and you know what? He had a change of heart and he decided to reinstate his cupbearer Maybe after he investigated what was going on, he realized the man was innocent. And he was put back in his old job of, of guarding and protecting and serving and being a confidant to the king. But that baker, whatever the same investigation, maybe has proved that this man was not trustworthy. This man was disloyal. He was a threat to the crown. And so instead of reinstating him to his position, he has the man executed and humiliated by being impaled on a stake. And yet, you come to verse 23, and you notice that here's Joseph, and he's been forgotten. He's been forgotten. Now, this is what's hard. Is it while we're waiting, we think, does that mean I just be passive and do nothing? No. Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you're set free, this is how confident he is that he's is this interpretation is true. When you're set free and you start serving King Pharaoh again, remember me. Please be kind to me. My situation, I've been treated unjustly. Get me out of this house. Get me out of this pit. Remember me. See, Joseph's watching there. He's not just witnessing. He's not just working, but he's looking for an opportunity. It's good to escape. It's good to get out, but he's, he's going through the proper channels. And he says, just remember me. Remember me and, and get me out. So let me just pause and say, go to the doctor. Talk to your financial advisor. Get that counseling. Go get the advice. Don't just sit back and do nothing in the middle of your suffering and your waiting, but put your trust in the Lord. Rely on him to work it all out. Joseph does all that, and you know what happens? He gets forgotten. And you could say if I end here with verse, the last verse of chapter 39, Boy, it's really getting bad. I couldn't see the 23 there. <laughs> and then verse 1 of chapter 41, it's, it's very clear that you might be saying, well, why wait on God? Why trust on Him? Trust in Him if I'm just going to be forgotten. God's at work in the waiting. He's making us more like His Son. He's testing our faith. He's growing us to maturity. He's working to bring glory to his name and good for other people and good for yourself as well. God is working in that way. So keep waiting, keep trusting. In fact, that's the fourth thing that Joseph has to do. He has to keep on waiting. 
Yeah, he's working. Yeah, he's watching for an opportunity to get out. Yes, he's being a witness. But he has to keep waiting. You see, watching and working and witnessing, that's not going to get you out of the waiting. That's not going to make the problem go away. If I do good, then God will get me out of this mess. No. God will get you out of that mess when it's time to be out of the mess. God will reverse it and turn it around when he's good and ready to do it for his honor and for his glory. In the meantime, be faithful to him and trust him. You might be thinking, okay, I'm not Joseph. I'm just a regular schmo, again, here in Littlestown. How do I know God is really willing to do this for me? How do I know God will do this for me and help me as I wait? My waiting seems like it takes forever. Truth of the matter is, is if we just would give time to serve God and be a witness for Him, that waiting looks, it begins to shorten. It looks like it will happen and be fulfilled and the waiting's not so long. Did you know that there's an airport down in Houston where the people complained, all the travelers complained that they had to wait so long for their baggage to be put on the carousel, the baggage carousel. And as they investigated, they saw that that was the number one complaint about the airport. And so they said, okay, we've got to do something about it. So what would you do in that situation? We'll get more guys out there on the tarmac, unloading the planes, filling up those little, you know, tractor trains, carrying all the luggage back. And we'll get more people inside to sort them out and put them on the right conveyor belt. We'll just get more people to do it. and We can handle this quickly. And they were getting the baggage off the plane and on the carousel within eight minutes. And people said, it's too long. It's too long. You're thinking, that's ridiculous. Well, you know what they found out as they did a little more investigating? They realized that people were getting off the planes at their gates and they were walking to the baggage claim and they were there in under a minute. And they had seven minutes just to stare at the conveyor belt turning around with no baggage. And that seemed like an eternity. So some guy in the front office had a great idea. Let's move the gate further away. It took him seven minutes to walk to the conveyor belt. And then all of a sudden, hey, my baggage gets here in rapid time. No, seriously. There are people at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology that their science that they study is people waiting. Seriously. This is why when you often, this often happens, when you stand beside an elevator, there's a mirror why? Oh, okay. Ding. Let's get on board. You've got something to do. Something productive. Something worthwhile. And even though you're waiting for that elevator to come down from the 110th floor, okay, you could, it's worth the wait because you just groomed up and you got ready to go. You, oh, okay. Ooh, dandruff. Okay. All that kind of stuff. If I'm walking across the airport, I may complain, I had to walk so far, but you didn't have to wait for your luggage. <laughs> if you and I could just see that when God puts us on hold and pushes, pushes the pause button and makes us wait, that there's something productive that we can do there to make that waiting worthwhile. We can work for Him. We can wait for Him. We can watch for Him. We can witness for Him. And the biggest thing of all that I want to leave you with as we conclude today is this. The reason that Joseph was able to do this was because the Lord was with him. The Lord is with you, child of God. If you're a follower of Christ, the Lord is with you.
Do you remember last week, some of you that were here, we saw this last week, we compared Joseph to Jesus? I'm not trying to say Joseph was Jesus or anything like that, but there were similarities between their two lives. And I, and I just think it's interesting how the authors of Scripture made sure that when they reported the facts of their lives, it's almost like that Joseph's life was a foreshadowing of, of Jesus' life. And so here's Joseph betrayed and unjustly charged, falsely accused, and he winds up suffering. And here's Jesus who is betrayed and he's falsely accused and he winds up suffering by dying on the cross for us. And there's just another little parallel there. You carry it a step lower. Joseph's forgotten and forsaken in his suffering. And Jesus, as he's hanging on the cross, is forgotten and forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As someone mistakenly misquoted John 3.16, the only forgotten Son of God. Why was Jesus forgotten and forsaken? He was forgotten and forsaken by Almighty God so that Almighty God would never forget or forsake you. He was forgotten that God would remember you. He was forsaken that God would be faithful to you. And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, when you get to chapter 13, he says, don't let your life be filled with coveting. But rather, remember that God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what people will do to me. Do you get that? I will never leave you or forsake you. Therefore, we can be bold and declaring the truth that God will never leave us or forsake us so we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. You're not forsaken in your waiting. You're not all alone on that detour. You're not lost. You're not forgotten. He's there. You're not waiting alone. He's with you. And it's remembering that. That's what makes the waiting worthwhile. It's remembering that, that the Lord is with you, that Jesus is with you, the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead. That's what gets us through. That's why we can wait. That's why we can endure the detours and setbacks that come in life. And God can use that waiting period to make us more like His Son, to bring others to Christ, to glorify His name. All these things can come true as we wait with Jesus who will never forsake us. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, I thank you for this precious promise that you give us that you'll never leave us or forsake us. Give us the boldness to trust you. Give us the boldness to depend upon you and not be afraid. I ask that, Father, in all of this, whatever our age, whatever milestone of our life, whatever crisis we face, whatever setback we endure, whatever disappointment comes and threatens to derail our lives, in all of this, Lord, I pray that you would teach us to wait on the Lord to have good courage 
and wait on the Lord because you are with us. I ask you to bless the bread and the cup that we're about to share as we remember you, Lord Jesus, that you gave your life for us. I ask that you would bless this bread and cup and each of my brothers and sisters who are here receiving it. For we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.